Lee had no idea I was going to be in this pulpit, and probably most of you guys didn't either. But when it came to a song that you could have played, never believing that I could have forgiveness, that I was so far gone that God could never find me, much less would he have a desire to reach out to me. But he did. And as a result of that, I have never, ever been the same. The verdict, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. My willingness to turn from my sin and self and by faith place it in him as my Savior. The verdict, not guilty. And that same verdict can be yours today. Well, if you have your Bibles, I pray you'll take them and turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Someone asked me uh, just a few moments ago when they found out I was going to be preaching, the pastor wasn't. was not going to be preaching. That was not good English, forgive me. Uh, he said, David, what did you do? I said, what do you mean, what did I do? I said, well, what did, what did you go through? I said, well, a lot of fear and trembling. He said, you must still be at it because you're still holding your hands mighty tight. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. God's Word says to be in season and out of season. And when God calls an individual to preach the Word of God, He expects you to do exactly that. And so I want to be honest with you. This is kind of how it happened. I want to just share with you. So I walked in the house yesterday, and uh, my wife is ironing this white shirt. I said, I have something I need to share with you. She said, you're preaching tomorrow. I said, really? I said, how did you know? She said, I just was impressed by God that you needed a white shirt because you were going to be filling the pulpit tomorrow morning. Well, I'll be honest with you, the Holy Spirit of God is going to be the one that fills the pulpit this morning, and I pray he does every morning. I know that he does when Pastor Shane is here, and I'm very humbled that he would ask me to preach. Well, I pray that you found your passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking in verse 27 through 31, and I want to read this passage of Scripture today, and I titled this sermon, The Least Likely to be Saved. The least likely to be saved. When I begin to think about my life and what God has done in my life and where I came from, I see myself in, some simil- in a similar situation as we're going to look at a man in this passage of Scripture. He is known as Levi. Many of you would recognize the fact that Levi has also another name, and that name would be Matthew. He is the writer of one of the four Gospels that we find in the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew. But his name before he met Jesus Christ was Levi. But God gave him another name, and that name means gift of God. Isn't it amazing? When God saves you, he gives you another name. For example, think about, if you will, Simon Peter. Simon had two names. He was shifting sand, but then he became the solid rock. Amen? And so we also know there's another name, a man who was an apostle, named Nathaniel, but there was another name that was given to him as well called Bartholomew. So what I want you to understand is that when you choose Christ as your Savior, he automatically not only gives you a name, but he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. So let's look at this passage of Scripture under this pretext, if you will, the least likely to be saved. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. 
Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we thank you today that you're still calling sinners to repentance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you still have a desire to see sinful man brought back into a right relationship with you, be reconciled through the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would anoint me to preach this passage. You would set me free. You would guard my mind and my heart. And Father, when the invitation is given, you would extend it and you would draw people to yourself. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. When you look at this passage of Scripture, there are several things that we're going to look at this morning. And as I begin to study and to look at this passage on Matthew, I went back a long time ago. Matter of fact, as I was studying, I went back and found some materials on Matthew back in 1987. Can I get a witness? Some of you were not born then. Some of you were not even on your mom's and dad's mind, I'll assure you. But back then, God had begun to lay on my heart this passage of Scripture, and I was studying it back then, and I made some notes, and I wrote this down beside this passage of Scripture. 1987, God placed in my heart the desire to begin a wild game dinner. You say, David, is this where it began? For me in my heart, this is where it began. I begin to read this passage of Scripture. I see an individual who did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who had heard about Jesus, who had seen Jesus, but yet he did not know him. And then there was an encounter with Christ, and after he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, he followed him. And out of his great, great, listen, joy of having sins forgiven, guilt being removed, a life worth living, he wanted to do something in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, he wanted to give him a great feast. But not only did he want to give him a feast, he wanted those that were just like him to come and meet Christ and have an opportunity to be set free just like he was. And as I began to look at that and think about that, I thought, well, you know what? If there was somehow, some way, we could get a group of people together and they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they would have an opportunity to be saved. Years later, since 1987, over 8,000 people have trusted Christ as Savior because there was a group of people like Maysville Baptist Church who was willing to do whatever it took to get people there under the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives be saved. And I have people, I got an email this week about the wild game dinner. And I just simply said this, this is how it started right here in the Word of God. It's biblical, amen, to have a dinner, invite people over, and to share Jesus Christ. I find it right here. Well, I want us to look at this, if you will, for several reasons. Number one, when we think about Matthew, we think about him really as an apostle, don't we? We think about him as a gospel writer in the New Testament. But when you really look at his life, we really don't know that much about him. We really have minimal, if you will, information concerning Matthew. But what we do know about Matthew is the occupation that he had. And so therefore, when we look about him in his occupation, there is a great deal that we can understand about him. For example, when we look at Matthew's occupation, the thing that we realize is that his occupation is a despised occupation. He has a despised occupation. 
Matthew himself despised his occupation. When you go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3, Matthew begins to list himself as an apostle, but then right after that, he lists what his occupation is. He says in that, he says he called himself a publican or a tax collector. You say, David, why would he do that? Because Matthew, when he saw himself, when he looked at his profession, he realized that his occupation was very despicable. It was contemptible. And really, by putting it the way he did, he said, of everybody that you see here as an apostle, I am the least likely to be saved. Let me ask you this morning. Do you see yourself as Matthew? Do you see yourself as the least likely to be saved? Matthew even wrote about it, and he put it in the gospel. You see, Matthew's social status would be similar to today's uh, mafia or drug cartel. He would be uh, classified with those who push and sell dope. He would be even in the classifications of robbers. And so when you look at Matthew, he would be known as a social leper. You see, publicans were fiercely disliked, and for a good reason for that. In other words, when you think about it, the public didn't really like them because they were the ones that levied the tax on you. Let me ask you, anybody in here friends with tax assessors? Do you relish the time that they call you and want to verify things about your place that you own? Or do you really desire for them not to call you at all? How many of you wait to the last day to pay your property taxes? Let's see your hand. There you go. Matthew was this kind of guy. No one liked him. His profession was such that he was absolutely a social outcast. He was really a social leper. So we see that, but there's two types of publicans when you consider Matthew. Think about this. There were two types. And by the way, they had to buy their occupation. They had to buy their profession, if you will, to the Roman government. An individual could pay X number of amount of money, then they could receive the title. And as they received that title, then they could charge what they wanted to. In other words, the first type of tax collector is a general tax collector. This person is the one who inspected items such as fruits and wines and products like that. That was not Matthew. Matthew was known as a custom or house collector. That's the reason why I don't like him. That's the reason the house collectors. That's the reason you don't like them. But anyway, this tax collector was despised because they could stop you and search you They could plunder your luggage, if you will, open the trunk of your car, loosen the satchel on your donkey, and find out what you had. And after they went through it, then they could determine what they wanted for themselves. So really, no one wanted to go by this tax collector. Matthew was that kind of guy. His occupation of business, his location, was outside the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was known as the city of Jesus. Many of the miracles that Jesus did, he performed there in Capernaum. So we see Matthew is dishonest in his occupation. Matthew was not liked because of the way that he searched people. And I must be honest with you, uh, when we think about Matthew, when we think about all that he could have done, we would really lump him, if you will, with the harlots and the heathens of the day. He was really just absolutely an outcast. 
The Jews didn't like him because they had said he sold them out. He was a swindler. They felt like he was a traitor because of the way he treated his own people. So when you look at Matthew's occupation, you can understand that he probably thought no one absolutely, especially Jesus, wanted anything to do with him. Consider this. He could not go into the synagogue. The religious crowd would not let him come in. Court of law, he could not be summons to be a juror or to be a witness to testify in a court of law. The law didn't want him. The Pharisees wouldn't have him. And when he gave money, alms to the poor, they couldn't accept it. This guy was in a terrible, terrible situation. And so we see here that his occupation, he was greatly despised. But not only do we see his occupation, I want us to move into Matthew's gracious call. Notice Matthew's gracious call, if you will. Here's the setting. It's outside Capernaum. Capernaum was a highway between Jericho and Jerusalem. He was the guy that stood there, and it was what, it's what we call import tax. When you came across the line there, and there you were at Capernaum, he was there to search what you were bringing in, I will assure you. In other words, no one wanted to go before him. Even the disciples who were fishermen, many of them had to pay taxes on the amount of fish that they caught. But can you imagine being on that road to Capernaum? There he was just outside the city streets. Could you imagine the stories that he had heard, such as Peter's mother-in-law being sick, but Jesus steps in and he steps into her life and she's healed. How about the leper who cried out and he said, Jesus, if thou be willing, thou can cleanse me. Jesus said, I am willing, and he touched him and he was clean. I love what Jesus told that leper there at Capernaum. He said, now, shh. Don't you go tell anybody. You keep this quiet unto yourself. Don't dare let anybody know what's happened to you, but you go to the priest and you pay what Moses said you're supposed to pay. Listen, friend, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the joy that he brings, you can't be quiet about what God has done. He noised it abroad. He went and told everybody. Hey, he didn't really have to say anything. All he had to do is walk up and down the streets. He no longer had to put his hands out and cry, unclean, unclean, unclean. I can imagine he's walking up and down the streets smiling, and people are wondering what's wrong with you. He's displaying that physically he is completely whole. I'm telling you, if you're Matthew, you're getting a sight to listen to all these changes. But because of the leper and the noise got out, then Jesus is in a house. Four men decide to bring their friend who is, uh, listen, he cannot walk. And so they bring him on the pallet. Y'all know the story. The place is crowded. There's so many people. They take him up on the roof. They tear the roof up. They let him down. And Jesus forgave the man of his sin because of their faith. What did he do? He told the paralytic, hey, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take the pallet, and get on out of here. Now, let me ask you something. If you'd have been Matthew outside the gates there, and all of a sudden for years you'd been seeing a man who was a paralytic carried on a stretcher 
day in and day out, and all of a sudden, you see him walking, carrying that stretcher with him, what would you be thinking? He'd be saying, what in the world is going on? There must be something special about this Jesus. Can I get a witness? There's a leper that comes down through there. He's made whole. There's a paralytic that comes down through there. He's made whole. Peter's mother-in-law sick to the point of death. She's in there cooking breakfast and getting ready for them to eat. Can I get a witness on a breakfast meal? So all of a sudden now, here he is. And we see the setting of the call is simply outside of Capernaum. But not only do we see the setting of the call, I want you to see the simplicity of the call. Notice how simple Jesus Christ calls him. By the way, I want you to understand what he asked him to do is the same thing he's still asking people to do today. It's still the simple call. Notice, if you will, in verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Notice he didn't say you have to give a lot of money. Notice he didn't say you have to change your clothes. Notice he didn't say you had to quit cussing. He didn't say you had to change your life. He didn't say you had to clean up. Here's what he just simply said. He said, I want you to do something. Just simply call to you is follow me. Follow me. That's all Jesus wants you to do today is follow him. Let me ask you something. Do you remember the day that Jesus called you? Do you remember the moment that Jesus Christ spoke into your heart and said, come follow me, come unto me? I'm telling you, he's still doing that today. But can you imagine, here is Levi or Matthew, and he cannot believe his ears. He cannot see for the reality that Jesus Christ wants him. Could you imagine being there, and as Jesus is approaching, maybe he begins to duck his head and not make eye contact with Jesus. He said, David, why would he do that? Embarrassed. Afraid. What's Jesus going to say? But J.R., I believe on the other side of that, there was a hope that Matthew said, I wish there was some way I could get rid of the guilt. I wish there was some way I could be forgiven. I wish there was some way I could start a brand new life. My dear friend, I'm telling you, when Jesus calls and he says, follow me, he's offering you a brand new life, a life of forgiveness, a life that is rid of guilt, a life that has a promise and a hope for tomorrow and for eternity and a place called heaven. So we look at the simplicity of the call, but I want you to notice the surrender to the call. What did he do? What did he do? Now, God's part is to extend the call. That's God's part. But here's man's responsibility. Here is his choice. He received the call, and so all of a sudden, then watch what Levi does. After Jesus says, follow me, in verse 27, verse 28, it says, so he left all, rose up, and he followed him. I don't Listen, don't miss this. Don't miss the fact that he left all. He left all. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, repentance is when you turn from your sin and everything you're depending on in yourself. And by faith, when you turn from that, 
you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, everything he was depending on to sustain him, everything he was depending on to carry him, he got up, he walked away. He walked away from his prophets. He walked away from his profession. He walked away from the pain, and praise God, he received the peace that only Christ can give, amen? That only comes through, from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden, he is doing something to him. He has surrendered to the call. He obeyed it immediately. You say, David, what happened to Matthew? Same thing that happens to any person. Same thing that happened to me. Same thing that happened to you. If you know Christ as Savior, he experienced the amazing grace of God. He received 100% forgiveness. 100% forgiveness. He realized that God has given him something that he could never obtain on his own. Hope. For the very first time in his life, he had hope. And God gave that to him. The Lord Jesus did that for him. And I'm telling you right now, when we come to know Christ as Savior, he instills with us a peace because the guilt and we're forgiven is gone. Matthew received every bit of that. Grace, grace, God's grace. Can you imagine that? Here he's walking down the road. He's with Jesus now. And he experienced the amazing grace of God. But not only do we see the simplicity of the call, the surrender to the call, but I want you to notice the shock of the call. Let me ask you something. When you gave your life to Christ, was anybody surprised? Did anybody say, well, I can't believe that? How about, did you hear this? It won't last long. He'll get over it. Did you hear that? Anybody ever say that to you? Let me ask you this. Was everybody excited about your decision to trust Christ as Savior? Not everybody was excited that Matthew followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, David, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, let's think about it, if you will, here for just a moment. When Jesus chose Matthew to save him and then to become an apostle, to me, it would have seemed like poor public relations, wouldn't it you? I mean, here is a group of guys that he's calling to walk with the sinless Son of God. And now, all of a sudden, he's going to put them together here is the man that's most despised in society, a spiritual leper, a social leper, and now he's going to bring us together. One time I was uh, doing a revival, and we were knocking on doors. And uh, as we knocked on the door, I invited the lady answered the door. The pastor was with me, and I introduced myself and who I was and invited her to come to church that night and hear me preach. She said, Preacher, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what my life is all about. Matter of fact, at night, I, that's when I go to work. And if I came to your church, it would be like putting a porcupine in the midst of a bunch of kittens. You see, folks, for some time, some reason, we just don't think people would fit in. Sometimes we just don't think that the world is really welcome where they should be. Amen? So his disciples had to get over it. They had to realize that, yes, this man was different, but Jesus had a purpose for calling him. He had a purpose for saving him, and he does for you and me even today. And so he called him. He chose him. And the shock of the call is because it would seem like poor, composi uh, poor public relations because of the com composition of the apostles was altered. Number two, Jesus called this moral leopard. This seemingly would alienate the general public. Who in the world 
would want to come to be around Jesus when the tax collector was in the house. Not many people would want to come, would they? He said, David, what is Jesus doing here? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus is demonstrating the availability of forgiveness for the worst of all people. You know, there's three kinds of lost people in this room today. And I know there's lost people in here. You can't have a crowd this big and, them not, and not someone here not know Jesus. There's three types. Here they are. The first type is the type that thinks they're too good to be damned. They don't need to be saved. They look at their goodness and they see their self as compared morally to others. And they say, I don't need to have my sins forgiven. I'm a lot better than so-and-so. Then there's the second group that says, you know what? I see myself as a sinner. I know I need to be saved, but I'm just going to put it off and I'm just going to wait a little while longer and then I'll choose to be saved when I desire to. Let me just go ahead and say something to you. Notice Matthew didn't come until he was called and when the Holy Spirit's calling you, that's when you've got to come. Then there's the third group. There's a third group that's always in a place like this and that's simply this group. This group says, I'm so bad. I've done so many terrible things, I can never, ever be saved. Many years ago, after God called me into, to preach, I went to work for a man. And what I did was go out on cruise. He owned a landscaping company. It was the largest in the southeast. He said, I'm hiring you because I want you to plant the gospel seed. You're going to go out and you're going to work with people, but you're going to plant the gospel seed. And so on this one occasion, myself and this other guy we're in my pickup truck, and we were going to Atlanta. We were going right down there to Lenox Square. There was a house there that they were doing everything, tearing up new shrubs, new landscaping. And as I began in the car, I began to witness to him what I'd learned through faith training, and I began to share with him how God loved him, and God would change his life. He would forgive him of his sins, give him hope and a promise for tomorrow. And as I began to share that with him, he looked at me and he said, you know, that's what I need. I said, are you willing to do it God's way? He said, yes, I am. Now, I didn't know anything about this young man, didn't know much about him at all. So he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ over the hood of my pickup truck when there used to be a drive-in varsity. Can I get a witness? He said, you mean he got saved over chili dogs and chili burgers? Someone, I told this story one time, somebody said, well, that'd make anybody want to get saved. I just want you to know he got saved that day. So we come back to the job site. He's working, I'm working. I'd lost track of him. And I came around the house there and I thought I heard someone weeping. And I did. This young man had got under a large magnolia tree. He was on his knees. I had to bend over to look and find him. And he was crying. I got down on my knees so I could talk to him, and I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, so why are you crying? He said, for two reasons. I said, what are they? He said, I'm crying tears of joy. This is the first time I can remember that there's no guilt on my life. He said, but let me tell you the other reason. He said, I'm crying because I wish my brother could know Jesus like I've just met him. I said, well, he can't. He said, no, he can't. I said, well, what do you mean he can't? He said, before I came to Georgia, I lived in St. Louis. My brother was two years younger than I am, and 
We used to go down to the train tracks in St. Louis and play chicken. I gave him some drugs. And he was doped up. And he played chicken with the train. And the train won. And he began to weep. And he began to weep. He said, I wish I could help those that are like me. That think they're so bad that God doesn't love them. And God wouldn't forgive them. I got to hang around that young man for about three or four more weeks. And I began to see a change in him. The very first thing he wanted was a Bible. The next thing he wanted was for me to pray with him. He said, how do you pray? I said, you've never prayed? He said, is that what we did a while ago when I asked Jesus to come into my heart? I said, yeah, we, we, we call that praying. He said, will you teach me to pray? Next thing, he said, how can I get others that work with me down here to receive Christ as Savior? I said, well, we need to get them under the gospel. We need to get them where they can hear about Jesus. He called me on the phone on Saturday night, Lee. He said, where you go to church, is there a parking spot for a bus? I said, a bus? He said, yeah. He said, we've got a bus down here that we carry our employees to when we have a large job. I'm the driver of that bus. He said, i got a bus load I want to bring to your church to hear the gospel. And then he asked me a question I'll never forget. Do you think the people in your church will accept the people like us that are going to get off that bus? I said, absolutely. Sure enough, about 15 minutes before service time came, I looked out there and there came that bus. You didn't have to look hard. You could hear it coming. Can I? Y'all know what I'm saying? It was on the way. And I didn't realize I looked over there, 13 people stepped off that bus, came in the doors of that church, Several of them later on gave their life to Jesus Christ. You say, David, what are you trying to say here? God loves all people. Jesus saved the spiritual and the moral leper. And he's still saving today. Lastly, I want you to see this and we're going to be through. The last thing we see here is Matthew's generous feast. You know what happened to Matthew after he gave his life to the Lord he became burdened for those that didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He got excited about his life. And he wanted so, so much for people to come meet Jesus. He did what he knew that he could do. If you'll provide food, they'll come. And so what's, guess what he did? He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send out invitations. I'm going to invite people to come to my house. We're going to have a feast in honor of Jesus Christ. And when people come, we're going to have a gospel conversation. They're going to get to meet the Savior, and many of them will have a chance to come know Christ as their Savior. I'm going to walk through this real quick. You listen, you learn, and we'll see what God can do. The first thing that took place in this generous feast was there was a crowd that was gathered. Notice in verse 29, it says, Levi gave him, in my Bible, that letter H in him ought to be capitalized. Jesus is the one to be honored, amen? He's the one that we always point to. They gave him a feast, a great feast in his own house. So here's what Levi did. He went there and he got a crowd together. The Bible says there's a great number. Notice the celebration. 
They had a bunch of food to eat. I wonder what they had. Maybe they had camelback strap. I don't know if they did. Maybe they had mule tenderloin. I don't know what they were eating. Maybe, maybe some roasted goat. But i tell you what they did do. They had enough to call it a feast. Amen? So they had a feast. They're having a party. It's in honor of Jesus Christ. There's a great celebration. There are the celebrities that are there. Jesus is there. The saved is there. The lost are there. The Pharisees are there. I'm telling you, the publicans and the sinners are there. They're all in the house. There is a great conversation that always takes place in a feast. I can just see Matthew right now. Hey, Jesus, tell them what you did to me. Jesus is saying, hey, Matthew, won't you tell them what I did for you? Amen. That's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants to tell us to tell people what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And then controversy took place. Not everybody was happy about Jesus. The religious crowd couldn't stand it. That here Jesus was having dinner with publicans and, and sinners. You say, David, why is it that Jesus did what he did? The same reason he does what he does today. I want you to look with me, if you will. We're closing now in verse 31. Notice the cause. Here's the reason Jesus does what he does. Look at this. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ came to this earth because sinful humanity, you and I, could only be reconciled back to a holy God through a sacrifice that had to be paid by the perfect, pure, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus knows our sickness. And my friend today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a walking person dead in your sin and trespasses. And there is only one physician that can heal you spiritually and his name is Jesus Christ let's pray heads are bowed and eyes are closed sitting here this morning I'm sure some of your hearts are beating mighty fast there is great conviction to point to you that you really need Christ as Savior you've never repented of your sin and by faith received him but my dear friend you can the Holy Spirit of God my Bible tells me convicts of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And as he's convicting you today to turn from your sin and by faith receive Christ as your Savior, it's up to you. That's your choice. God's done his part, and he's doing it. You have to choose Christ. That's your choice. Matthew chose to follow. The question is, will you choose to follow Jesus right now? From your heart to God's heart. If you'll cry out to him according to Romans 10, 9. 
confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So let me ask you to do that this morning. And it's the attitude of your heart, friend. It's not going to be these words. But from your heart to God's heart, if you would say something meaning it, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe you are the Son of God. You died on the cross at Calvary to shed your blood, to pay my price, to ransom me so I could be in a right relationship with you. Will you come into my heart right now? I receive you as my Savior. And dear friend, if you did that, why don't you to thank him? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In just a few moments, we're going to have a come forward invitation. This invitation is going to be extended for two or three reasons, but number one is going to be for you, dear friend. If you trusted Christ as Savior, I want to pray for you. Our pastor is going to be in the green room. He would love to greet you and meet you. And I would love to let you know how much I love you and help you now to begin your walk with God now that you've taken your step of faith. And then there's others here. You're here. You know you need to follow Christ in baptism to be obedient to him. You need to be obedient to follow that call. There's others here that have been coming for some time. And you know this is a place where God wants you to serve him. We're going to give you a chance to come this morning, become a member of our church. We'll give you all the information and details that you need for that as well. And then there's others today. I want to extend this. I just, this just hit me. Maybe there's someone that you know is lost, that you deeply care about, you've been praying for for some time. You want to come to this altar, and you want to pray. So we've got a fourfold invitation. Brother Lee's going to come when I get through praying. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit of God's doing in this invitation. Lord, we love you. We ask you to move as only you can. We pray, Father, have your will in the hearts of those that are listening at home and in the hearts of those that are in this room today. Move, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.